The following audio is from Grace City Church in San Diego, California. More information about Grace City Church is available at gracecitysd.com. Therefore, Daniel went into Arioch, whom the king had appointed to destroy the wise men of Babylon. He went and said thus to him, Do not destroy the wise men of Babylon. Bring me in before the king, and I will show the king the interpretation. Then Arioch brought in Daniel before the king in haste and said thus to him, I have found among the exiles from Judah a man who will make known to the king the interpretation. The king declared to Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, Are you able to make known to me the dream that I have seen and its interpretation? Daniel answered the king and said, No wise men, enchanters, magicians, or astrologers can show to the king the mystery that the king has asked. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries, and he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the later days. Your dream and the visions in your head as you lay in bed are these. To you, O king, as you lay in bed came thoughts of what would be after this, and he who reveals mysteries made known to you what is to be. But as for me, this mystery has been revealed to me, not because of any wisdom that I have more than all the living, but in order that the interpretation may be made known to the king, and that you may know the thoughts of your mind. You saw, O king, and behold, a great image. This image, mighty and of exceeding brightness, stood before you, and its appearance was frightening. The head of this image was made of fine gold, its chest and arms of silver, its middle and thighs of bronze, its legs iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. As you looked, a stone was cut out by no human hand, and it struck the image on its feet of iron and clay and broke them in pieces. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold all together were broken in pieces and began and became like the chaff of the summer threshing floors, and the wind carried them away so that not a trace of them could be found. But the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. This was the dream. Now we will tell the king its interpretation. You, O king, the king of kings, to whom the God of heaven has given the kingdom, the power, and the might, and the glory, and into whose hand he has given, wherever they dwell, the children of man, the beasts of the field, and the birds of the heavens, making you rule over them all, you are the head of gold." Another kingdom inferior to you shall rise after you, and yet a third kingdom of bronze, which shall rule over all the earth. And there shall be a fourth kingdom, strong as iron, because iron breaks to pieces and shatters all things. And like iron that crushes, it shall break and crush all these. And as you saw the feet and toes, partly of potter's clay and partly of iron, it shall be a divided kingdom. But some of the firmness of iron shall be in it, just as you saw iron mixed with a soft clay. And as the toes of the feet were partly iron and partly clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly brittle. And as you saw the iron mixed with soft clay, they will mix with one another in marriage, but they will not hold together, just as iron does not mix with clay. And in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed, nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break in pieces all these kingdoms and bring them to an end, and it shall stand forever, just as you saw that a stone was cut from a mountain by no human hand, and that it broke in pieces the iron, the bronze, the clay, 
the silver, and the gold. A great God has made known to the king what shall be after this. The dream is certain, and its interpretation sure. Let's bow our heads and pray. Father God, thank you for this scripture. Thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord, for your absolute truth that in a world where there's so much going on, there are so many kingdoms that we can put our our stake in and that we can build for ourselves, Lord. Thank you that your kingdom is the only true one. Thank you, Lord, for your holiness and your sovereignty. Lord, I pray this morning as we learn more about you, that you would touch each of us personally, that we would be humbled to see who you are and see how deeply you love us and what a great privilege it is to be in, in relationship with you. Thank you, Lord, for your love. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Janie. All right, good morning, everyone. It's good to see you. If I haven't met you, my name is Randall. I'm pastor here at Grace City. I'm excited to be here with you this morning. If you're new, uh, one of the things that we do is we... Uh, we go through books of the Bible. And so uh, we are going through currently the, the book of Daniel. And as has been mentioned, we have Bibles here on the side. And, and so if you don't have a Bible, I'm not talking about on your phone. I'm talking about like Bible in your hand right here. If you don't have one of those, we have one for you. Please take that. Uh, we want that to be a gift to you because we just see it as so important uh, that we're opening up God's word. And so uh, we are in this series right now called Living as Exiles, uh, a study in Daniel. And uh, what we've been talking about when it comes to this word of being in exile is this idea that um, in exile being someone who is absent from their true home, absent from their true home. And so what we've been talking about in Daniel is that Daniel was physically taken from his home uh, in Jerusalem and and was taken to uh, this new place that was diverse, pluralistic, and polytheistic. And so there was this place that he was living where there was many gods that were worshipped in Babylon. And as we've studied throughout the Bible, in, in both in the Old and New Testament, this is not new for God's people. See, the New Testament tells us that we are citizens of heaven. And, and in the book of Daniel, we see that Daniel lives uh, not assimilating to the new culture that he's in, but staying firm and who he believed God is, and worshiping God in this new space that he lived in. And so the book of Daniel is his practical guide on how him and his friends lived as exiles in Babylon, but still held firmly to the God of the Bible and to what we'd say is like a biblical worldview. So the message for today is we look at Daniel 2, 24 through 49. It's a long text, but what we need to, to, to really read through the whole narrative here is seeing the already, not yet. Seeing the already, not yet. Now, at this point in his life, uh, King Nebuchadnezzar uh, had reached the apex of earthly fame and fortune. In a two-year span, he had conquered nations. He led an extravagant life. But despite all of this, Daniel 2 tells us that he was troubled, disturbed, anxious, and couldn't sleep. 
Commentator Sinclair Ferguson says, Nebuchadnezzar had everything a person could dream of possessing, power, fame, influence. Not only so, but he was in the process of creating an empire that would memorialize him in a city whose gardens, the hanging gardens, would be known as one of the uh, wonders of the ancient world. Why then should a mere dream fill him with such anxiety? The answer is that Nebuchadnezzar was a man whose heart was set on goals that would in the long run prove to be mirages in the desert. He lived exclusively for this world. Thus, the horizons of his ambition always moved with the change and decay of this world. See, what is happening here is Nebuchadnezzar's dreams images, ideas of what the future would hold for him are starting to be challenged. And it scared him. You see, in our generation, fame and fortune has become a guiding force for many people's lives. Barna Research discovered that 26% of young people believe that they will definitely or probably be famous by the time they are 25. Today, if you ask many youth, what do you want to be when you grow up? They will commonly say, a YouTuber. And the reason is, is because they believe that that is the key to fame, fortune, and security. A book that we've been looking at, Faith for Exiles, Dave Kinnaman and Mark Matlock say this. They say, success is of central importance to this generation. Most teens tell us their top goals are to complete their education, to land a great-paying job where they can make a difference. Now, let me ask. Will success, a great-paying job, or even making a difference, which we can argue that Nebuchadnezzar was making a difference, (laughs) could that be enough to fill our lives? As we've looked at over the past month, this generation is filled with a low-level anxiety where many are stressed out and concerned about the future. And it's not just in one area of their life, but it's in multiple areas of their life. See, for you and me, this has been called the age of anxiety. Now let's go back to Nebuchadnezzar. What do we see the most successful, powerful, influential person of his generation struggling with. He's got a great job. He's making a difference. He's achieved greater success than most people will in their, in, within history, but he's still stressed out and concerned about the future. So what's the answer? As we see today in the life of Daniel and his young friends who were most likely teenagers at this time it's very clear how distinct their life is from the king his court and everyone that they've been surrounded with they're drastically different see in the midst of all of this Daniel has held on to this God-centered view of life. 
but also this biblical idea of who God is and what God has done and what God will do. See, from a very young age, he was brought up in the Hebrew Scriptures, and he was taught that God created everything, and that even though King Nebuchadnezzar sit, sit on the seat of the throne, that actually there's a God in heaven who is higher than Nebuchadnezzar. See, on the outside, Daniel and his friends looked very Babylonian. They've been trained in every way in the ways of Babylon. We see that in Daniel chapter 1. But who were they on the inside? See, they believed in who God created them to be. Like we talked about, their names, right? Daniel's name is God is my judge. His anchor, his foundation was found in the God of the scriptures. Yet, what we see is his name was changed to and transformed to Belteshazzar, which you see the king calling him here. What is Belteshazzar? Well, it was a name that was tied to a Babylonian god, one of the many Babylonian gods. They believed in what God called them to do. Remember in Daniel chapter 1, it says that he was resolved to do what God called him to do. Again, this isn't somebody else's faith. This wasn't his parents' or his grandparents' faith, but this was a personal faith now for Daniel where he resolved to follow God. And they believed in why God called them to be there, the plans. Remember, this was during the time he was contemporaries to Jeremiah and Isaiah during the same time during this exile. So the books of Isaiah and Jeremiah were actually informative to Daniel and how he lived his life. Remember, we talked about this last week, but many scholars believe that Daniel looked to the letter of Jeremiah as a roadmap to faithfully navigate what God's plans were in the midst of all of the plans that he was living in in Babylon. Ian DeGid, a commentator, says these men didn't isolate themselves from the kingdom of this world as they waited for God to establish his kingdom. Rather, they poured themselves into seeking the welfare of their temporary home in Babylon. Jeremiah 29, 5-7, which we looked at. This attitude of seeking the peace of their present city, even though it was not their home, and certainly not yet the city of God, is exactly the attitude Jeremiah urged the exiles in Babylon to adopt. One of the major challenges in the Christian life is keeping these to, uh, uh, these two, I meant to say two, not T-O, but T-W-O, two emphases in balance. To keep them in balance. Do you see, we talked about this last week, the tension that this young man is living in. And do you see that as a, a citizen of heaven, if you believe that God is king of all kings, lord of all lords, that you're going to live in attention to. So how did Daniel, faithfully uh, living for God, impact this powerful, successful, yet troubled king? Well, this is one of the phases that we see in Nebuchadnezzar's life where God is drawing him to see who he really is. And he's using this young man to do that. See, it was when Daniel comes before the king and tells him about this vision 
that is an already not yet vision. An already not yet vision. And so we're going to look at that today. And so again, our text is Daniel 2. 24 through 49, just to give some background. This was written in the 6th century B.C. Uh, Again, uh, Daniel was coming from noble blood, uh, a Jewish lineage. Um, Isaiah 39, 7 tells us that this was already prophesied it was going to happen, which I love the interconnectedness of the Bible, right? Um, It's captured by King Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, Seemingly at this point in his life, as a teenager, it feels like he's lost everything. Feels like he's lost everything, like all hope is lost, but he doesn't believe that because God is at work in his life. And so just to give a big picture of what's happening here, uh, which Daniel didn't get at the time, but we get, is that Daniel is here for 70 years under four different kings, and he outlasts all of them. Remember, the false prophets at the time were telling Daniel, his friends, everyone that would listen, Israel, like they were telling them, hey, this is going to be a two-year stint. You're going to be here for two years. Don't worry about it. Don't, don't, don't invest there. Uh, just come back. Use the city. But that prophecy, and God said it. He's like, that's wrong. You're going to be there for 70 years. And so Daniel, this young man, is there for 70 years, serves under uh, King Nebuchadnezzar II, Belshazzar, uh, Darius I, and Cyrus II. And so just to give some context now of what's happening in Daniel's life in in Daniel 2, James Boyce says this. Daniel was presumably graduated into the company of wise men and statesmen. But we need to remember that he was still only about 18 or 19 years of age and that there were undoubtedly many among those men who were far greater and far more influential than he was. So Daniel was no power or negligible influence. We find that when the wise men are unable to tell the king what his dream was and the king threatened to kill them all, Daniel, who was not even consulted and whose influence in ancient Babylon did not amount to a hill of beans at the time, although his gifts were disregarded and although he was now under sentence of death, the crisis became the occasion through which God brought him to the forefront of leadership. In the story, we see the overriding sovereignty of God in this young man's affairs. See, what we see is that for such a time as this, God brings Daniel to the forefront. But it's in a very dire situation, where you, a very dark situation. So how does the progression of the king's vision help Daniel tell him about the already not yet and and really help him to live into that well it's by noticing three phases daniel uh talks about here uses and so the first one is this he says um you saw O king you saw O king the second one is a stone was cut out and three the god of heaven will set up a kingdom You saw, O king, a stone was cut out. The God of heaven will set up a kingdom. So there's three phases of this vision, and we're going to talk through this and and really help us to understand today what this already not yet really is. So the first one is he he says, you saw, O king, verse 31. You saw, O king, and behold, a great image. This image was mighty and of exceeding brightness, stood before you. 
and its appearance was frightening. So what's happening here? Well, in the previous passage, the king has placed the wise men and enchanters in a, seem- in a seemingly impossible situation to describe and interpret the king's dream. Daniel has been trained in all the ways of Babylon. And he was not at this time asked, he wasn't a part of that that group. From what we can tell, he was not a part of the group that was asked. But he did not look to astrology or dream manuals to interpret this dream. He didn't look to those things. But he went to the living God. And God gave him the answer. And here's what he starts with. You saw. You saw. Literally, O king, you are a spectator. You're a spectator. Nebuchadnezzar, at this point, has built a great empire, was in the process of building the hanging gardens, has conquered nations, and ultimately, what is he? He is a spectator to his future. The man who thinks he's building is actually just watching. You see, we live in a world that tells us, you create your future. You own the future. The future is in your hands. But one of the most powerful people alive is reminded here, ultimately, you're just a spectator. You're just a spectator to something bigger than yourself. You ever hear people with those near-death experiences, what do they say? They say, I saw my life flash before my eyes. I saw my life flash before my eyes. I I, I wasn't in charge anymore. (laughs) See, for many of us, we think that we are at the top of our lives, that we are in charge of our lives. And this vision is saying, no, you're not. Even the most powerful person in the world at the time was not in charge of his life. Daniel 2, 21, and this isn't on the screen, but this is going back to the prayer that Daniel prayed. Remember what he says? If you look at your Bible, he says, He, God, changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. Hold on, so God removes, God sets up, God has a plan, God's in charge. See, if we were to look at what happens next is is he's a spectator, it says this is what he sees, a great image a great image. And so what's the image? Well, it says that there's a gold head, chest and arms of silver, stomach and thighs of bronze, legs of iron, and feet partly iron and partly clay. So Daniel's describing to him, he says, this is, you've seen the vision, you've seen the dream, you've seen what's happening here. What does this mean? Well, Daniel's going to interpret to him, but we see throughout history, here's what many believe he's saying. That there are four kingdoms that will rise up. 
And the first one, he tells him, he says, the, the gold head. You want to know what the gold head is? He says, the gold head is you, Nebuchadnezzar. You're at the top right now. But what we see throughout history, if you do some research and study, Babylon, as great as it became, only lasted 65, 70 years. That's how long it lasted. In total, it grew really fast. It was very glamorous, but it only lasted for a short time. Next, he says, the, the chest of, and arms of silver. What happens next, and we see this through history, is that the Medo-Persians took over. And we see this in the book of Nehemiah. And what we see is that the, the Medo-Persians only lasted 200 years. Not as flashy as the gold, but the silver lasts a little bit longer, but not, as, uh, not, not, not forever. The stomach and thighs of bronze, this was Greece. And so, with Alexander the Great, uh, we find that Greece lasted about 185 years. Uh, at a very young age, if you look through history, uh, Alexander the Great dies at the age of 33. But before he dies, he had uh, conquered all, all of these lands. And there's this story of him weeping because he conquered all of the, the known world that he could. He conquered everything and he's weeping. And so Greece only lasts 185 years. And then it gets to the legs of iron and, uh, 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 and feet, partly of iron and partly of clay. What is this? Well, what we see in history is that it's Rome. Lasts about 1,600 years at best. Still influences us some ways today. But what did this all mean? That as Nebuchadnezzar was looking at all of this, that even though he feels like he is the king of the universe now, it's all temporary. It's all temporary. It does not last. See, what is the thing that stresses us out more than anything? What is the thing that keeps us up at night? It's the idea that we have control and power over our lives and that all of these things right now matter more than anything. And we don't see that there's actually a future. It looks dim. It looks dark. It looks like there's no hope. And what... Daniel is telling the king is that, yes, you're right. It's all temporary. But then he comes in with this. The second part is a stone was cut out. Look at verses 34 through 35. As you looked, a stone was cut out by no human hand, and it struck the image and its feet of iron and clay and broke them in pieces. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold all together were broken in pieces. And became like the chaff of the summer threshing floors. And the wind carried them away so that not a trace of them could be found. But the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. So the first part is that he, he talks about, he says this to the king. He says, as you looked, right, you're watching this. You're seeing this. You have no active part in any of this happening right now. As you looked, a stone was cut out by no human hand, and it struck the image on its feet of iron and clay and broke them in pieces. 
So what do we see here? Well, there's a couple important distinctions being made about the stone. So I want to focus here on the stone in this visual imagery here. The first one is this. The image was created by human hands. But here's the distinction. The stone was cut out by no human hand. By no human hand. The image is made of precious materials, right? Valuable materials. My brother's getting married soon. Next month. I'm excited for him. He sends me this picture. I don't know what it is recently, but like gold chains are in. They are in. And he sent me the biggest, thickest gold chain I've ever seen. He's like, I'm wearing this for my wedding. I'm like, wow, <laughs> okay. Here's the thing. We love the gold. We, we love that. But what this is saying is even the most precious materials, those things won't last. And the stone, think about this, the stone. You probably kicked one in the way in here, right? The stone, the simplest, least valuable of all the substances, seems insignificant, is the very thing that tears down the most important precious materials of the world the stone what is up with this stone well if the feet was Rome which many commentators believe who breaks into history during the empire built by Rome who hits the scene during the rule and reign of Rome. See, many believe that this stone is Jesus Christ. And think of all the references of Jesus being the stone throughout the scriptures. Matthew 21, 42 through 44. Isaiah 8, 14. 1 Peter 2, 6 through 8. This won't be up on the screen, but here's what it says in Isaiah 28, 16. See, Isaiah, again, contemporary to Jeremiah and Daniel, Isaiah 28, 16. See, I lay a stone in Zion, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone for a sure foundation. The one who relies on it will never be stricken with panic. What is filling the heart of the king? He's stricken with panic. And he didn't know that his empire was going to end. But God did. Who's the only one who can hold your future and my future and knows the future? God does. That's the thing that Daniel's vision is encouraging us to believe today and to see and also helping us to understand that that's what's most important. Do you see the already nature that God is in charge no matter the precious materials and things that are being raised up all around you? In many ways, they say to know your community and the idols of your community, look at the highest buildings in your community. Look at the buildings that are raised up the highest. 
Education is good, but is it God? Money, it's not a bad thing, but is it God? Work, is it God? See, when those things take the place in our lives of being God, our foundation will crumble. It will become dust, just like he says here for Nebuchadnezzar. It'll all blow away. See, what Daniel was prophesying is that all the most extravagant kingdoms that we can create and that have been created in the world will ultimately become nothing. And that the simple, unassuming Jesus will outlast them all. The stone. The one who's kicked to the curb. The one who seems very small and insignificant. Lastly, number three, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom. Look at verses 44 through 46. And in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed. Nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break in pieces all these kingdoms and bring them to an end. And it shall stand forever. Just as you saw that a stone was cut from a mountain by no human hand and that it broke in pieces the iron and bronze and clay, silver and gold, a great God has made known to the king what shall be after this. The dream is certain and its interpretation sure. Lastly, what does this mean? Well, Daniel says, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed. See, it's been happening, well, it it, it was happening at that point, it was already building, and it's happening now. God was and is building a kingdom. And what it is, it's seemingly unnoticed by the kingdoms of the world. Do you see it? He says, in the days of those kings. Right there, if you underline that, in the days of those kings. And so it wasn't like it wasn't there, like God wasn't at work. But they just didn't take notice to it. They didn't really regard it as very much. And here's the thing. As you live faithfully as a believer in this world, you'll be looked down on. You might be made fun of. You might be seen as insignificant or even foolish. But God is still at work building his kingdom. Next he says that the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed. Here's the thing. We need this. You need this. I need this. We need this. This is a vision of the already not yet. You see, what starts to grow from this rock, a mountain, a mountain, but it takes time. It takes time. See, in the vision, it doesn't say that there's a, a, a mountain that just drops on top of the image. But it says that the rock, as it destroys this image, there's a mountain that starts to grow up out of it. It starts to grow up slowly. And it starts to grow so significant that it fills the earth. Well, this won't be on the screen, but uh, one pastor, Timothy Keller, he says, you notice there's this huge statue. 
but it's not a huge mountain that smashes the huge statue. It's not the kingdom. Uh, it's, it's not the kingdom takes the place of the statue immediately, but rather the small thing that crushes it. He says, you have to understand this if you're going to live in the city. If you're going to live in the city, the kingdom of God is a growing thing. It's a gradual thing. It is, it is not come in one swoop. It does not come in and suddenly wipe everything that's wrong out. The kingdom of God is in two stages. It comes in when Jesus Christ first came. We talked about. But it came in weakness. It came in service. It didn't wipe out all the, the evil in the world. But there will be a time, the second coming, the, the coming of God will come in total power and fill the earth. What that means, it's the already not yet. It's already here in reality. God's already at work among you and me. It's here in reality, but it's not here in its fullness and that is so important for a Christian to live in a big city. We live in a big city, friends. So important for Christians to live in what would be labeled a secular or pluralistic society because it gives you both a certainty but also a flexibility to trust God with your life. And so just some takeaways. How do we live in the already, not yet? By believing these three truths, okay? And so I hope that these start to become mantras for us in our lives, all right? Something that we just repeat to ourselves again and again because we see it in the life of Daniel. Again, teenager. First one is this. I am not, but God is, so I will trust him. I am not, but God is. See, for many of us, we define our lives by what I am. I can do this. I can do that. I, 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 I. As we've talked about before, what is the root of sin? It's that middle letter I. It's all about me. It's the self-absorption of life. But to be free from myself, that Christ is greater than me, that he comes in the throne of my heart and life, so I will trust him. See, I am not, but God is. What gave Daniel the courage to face the king? It was that he trusted the true king. What's going to help you to stand in the gap when the different leaders and rulers in your life are there? It's to trust God and say, you know, ultimately God is king. The thing about Daniel that we find is that Daniel was very well loved. He was very well loved in Babylon. But he did believe the same things that Babylon did. And so he lived with this mantra of, like, I am not. Like, he could have just taken credit. But do you remember what he does before he he shares the vision. He basically says, it's not me, it's not me, it's not me. It's God. 
Could you start to live like that? It's not me. It's God. Secondly, I can't, but God can. So I will obey him. I can't, but God can. So I will obey him. If we started to live with this idea of like, man, I can't do that. Like on my strength, on my ability, I can't, but God can. So I will obey him. I will trust him, right? I will obey him. What gave Daniel the courage to speak to the king? It was that he obeyed the true king. What this is is a call to obedience to God. Not just to my great ideas or what I think I can do. No, this is an obedience to God. What can God do in my life? I want to step into what God wants to do. Right? There's a different path, a different way of life. And lastly, I didn't, but God did. So I will glorify him. This is a completely different way of life. Again, what happens when we get to the apex of whatever we think life is about? You ever heard that phrase? Man, they just changed. People change. When they get to this place, they, they, you, you changed. You're different. You were one way here, and then you made it to this position, and you are different. What happens? Pride starts to fill our heart, and we actually start to think that we're something that we're not. And we start to think that we can carry the weight of the glory of it all. Yep, look at what I did. Look at my resume. Look at, look at all the accomplishments I did. And so we start to glorify ourselves and we start to live in that pattern of life where we start to think that we're the king or we're the queen of the universe. Right? It's been interesting to watch even the way that our economy has gone. And how at one point we can think, oh, I'm the greatest, I'm the best. Take my advice. Everybody got advice, right? Listen to me. And then all of a sudden, it could be taken like that. What I found is that we're not experts. Will we continue to trust God and give God the glory for anything that he brings into our life? Anything. Humility, right? See, what gave Daniel the courage to request the king to honor his friends? Because he doesn't just go alone, but he takes his friends with him. He takes his friends with him. He gets in this position. He says, hey, um, I got these friends. Uh, you call them Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? You know, um, I know them by a different name, but yeah. Uh, can, you, can you hook them up too? Sure. Bring them with you. And what he does is he places these people who believe in the same God that he does in these positions. And I'm telling you, they were nothing. They had no influence. And God brings them up and puts them into this position. So, I didn't, but God can, so I will glorify him. And I'm gonna end, end with this. This is super interesting to me. And this is within church history. 
but during the building of the temple of Solomon. Remember Solomon, David wanted to build the temple for, for God, but uh, his son Solomon was tasked with building it. And so all of the rocks were being uh, cut out uh, at a distance from Jerusalem. And they were being brought to where the temple of God was going to be. And so when they would cut these rocks out, they started to number them. And they sent them all to the place where the temple was going to be. And they're putting all the rocks together to build the temple. But there was this one oddly shaped rock that was sent that wasn't numbered. And so what they did is they looked at it and they're like, we don't know what this rock is. And so they throw it off the side. And they build the temple. And then they get to the end. And they're like, there's one rock that's missing. And it, they, they were like, well, what is it? And, and they were like, well, I think it was already sent up there. And so they ran down. And this rock was a rock that many of them, as they were walking up to go work on the temple, would trip over. And so they went and grabbed this overlooked rock, and they picked it up, and they put it in the temple, and, in the, and it was literally the cornerstone. It was like this oddly shaped, and it fit perfect. Fit perfect. And now with that, knowing that Jesus is the stone, I want you to listen to this parable from Luke 20, verses 9 through 18. Jesus began to tell the people this parable. A man planted a vineyard and let it out to, lent it out to tenants and went uh, into another country for a long while. When the time came, he sent a servant to the tenants, uh, tenants so that they uh, would give him uh, some of the fruit of the vineyard. But the tenants beat him and sent him away empty-handed. And he sent another servant. But they also beat, beat and treated him shamefully. And sent him away empty-handed. And he sent yet a third. This one also they wounded and cast out. Then the owner, the owner of the vineyard, the king of the vineyard. What shall I do? I will send my beloved son. Perhaps they will respect him. But when the tenants saw him, they said to themselves, This is the heir. Let us kill him so that the inheritance may be ours. And they threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. What then will the owner of the vineyard do to them? He will come and destroy those tenants and give the vineyard to others. What they heard, uh, when they heard this, they said, surely not. But Jesus looked directly at them and said, what then is this? That is written, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces, and when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. We can think that we are the rulers of our world, but I'm telling you, in the end, it will crush us. And right now, you're feeling it. Crushed with anxiety, crushed with stress, crushed with the weight of the world on your shoulders. 
And Jesus says, it will crush you because you were never the owner. I was never the owner. There is an owner of the vineyard. There is a king of the kingdom. And you're either going to toss him out of your life or you're going to bring him in and say, I need you to rule my life. I need you every day. I'm not, but you are. Jesus, please. I don't want to break to pieces anymore. And so my encouragement to you is come to the one whose arms are open wide to you and says, I love you. I see you in your distress. And that's why I died. That's what this is about. He's the perfect fit into your life that you've been looking for for all of your life. Will you trust him? Let's pray. Jesus, there is an already not yet nature to your kingdom. And yes, it'll challenge all of the fears and anxieties that we have, but it's for our good so that we can see that it's not gonna be in anything that we can do, but everything that you've done for us, that's the gospel. And so we invite you in, Lord Jesus. If anyone here is struggling, if anyone here is distant from you, draw them near. If those of us who have followed you for a long time need to be reminded, remind us, Lord. Speak to us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this resource from Grace City Church. If you found this helpful, feel free to share it and enjoy more resources at gracecitysd.com. Grace City Church exists to equip people with the gospel for everyday life.